Chris Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I hope I sound a little bit better this week versus last. I am on the mend. And I got to be honest, it might be a short pod today. We'll see how long this takes me. I'm still trying to carve down my average pod time because I had a two-hour marathon with Joe Marino before the draft. All of a sudden, my average pod time is way higher than it was supposed to be. Not that I pay attention to things like that. Of course not. That would be crazy. You know, if you've ever been in a relationship with someone for a long time, you might think you know everything about them. I've been married for a long time. And... You might think that I know everything there is to know about my wife, Mrs. Nolan, and that Mrs. Nolan knows everything about me. My encouragement to you is if you are in that boat, go buy a game that you can play with your significant other that will reveal things like exactly how well you might know them. Because we do this. We do this thing where we assume that we know everything there is to know about somebody when you've spent meaningful amounts of time with them. But everything is a lot. 100% of the things that make somebody human is a lot. It's a lot of things. And we assume because we know their middle name and their favorite color and their favorite show that somehow we really, really, really know them perfectly. And you probably don't. You probably know them really well but maybe not perfectly. And sometimes this can only be revealed through playing a game like that because the game will outline to you the things you didn't really know until the questions were asked. My wife and I played a game like this not too long ago. It's a card game called Going Deep. And we asked each other all the questions on the cards. And guess what? We knew the overwhelming majority of the answers to these questions. When I asked it, I knew what she was going to say. And when she asked it, she knew what I was going to say. But there were one or two that were a little unexpected for us. And that made the entire exercise worth it. The idea that we could know 99% of things, but that's not where the joy comes. The joy comes from the 1% you don't know not the 99% that you do. That's the exact same scenario as 53-man roster projections. We know 99% of what this is going to be. Obviously, it's not exactly 99 because, you know, 53 players and, you know, do the math. 99 would be, you know, you know 52.6 of them. I'm doing that off the top of my head. But we don't. But we probably are arguing over three spots four spots, but that's where the joy comes. It doesn't come in all the the 50 or the 48 spots that you know. It comes in the four or five spots you don't. 
the pivot points of a 53-man roster projection. And now that the draft has happened, now we know where those pivot points will be. If we would have tried to do this exercise before the draft, you don't know what the pivot points are going to be because you don't know who they're going to draft in the first round. And you know that guy's making the team. You don't know who they're going to draft in the second round. And you know that guy's making the team. So it changes. And now all of a sudden, now the draft is over, now we know the pivot points. So let's identify the pivot points by going through the first 53-man roster projection of the year. Shall we? Quarterback. Allen and Allen, the law firm of Allen and Allen. I sense a t-shirt coming at some point here. Bills have historically carried two quarterbacks. Matt Barkley makes complete sense as a practice squad player. Running back, I have four. This is the first pivot point. Cook, Harris, Hines, Gilliam. I'll come back to it. Wide receiver, six. Diggs, Davis, Shakir, Hardy, Sherfield, and Shorter. Tight end, three. Knox, Kincaid, Morris. Offensive line, nine. Dawkins, Morse, Brown, Bates, Torrance, McGovern, Quessenberry, Edwards, and Butker. Defense. Defensive end, five. Miller, Rousseau, Basham, Epinesa, Lawson. Defensive tackle, Oliver, Jones, Settle, Ford. Another pivot point. We'll come back to it. Linebacker, six, Milano, Dodson, Bernard, Williams, Klein, Matakevich. Cornerback, seven, White, Johnson, Jackson, Elam, Benford, Neal, Lewis. Safety, four, Poyer, Hyde, Rapp, Hamlin. Specialists, Bass, Martin, Ferguson. So, Von Miller didn't go to the pup in this exercise. Had he, I would have had to have made a Kingsley Jonathan versus Cam Lewis versus Latavius Murray call. And I likely would have gone with Kingsley Jonathan just for positional balance at that point. I recognize fully that Von Miller, despite what he's posting on social media, isn't likely to be ready for week one and that him running and cutting is far more important to his rehab than lifting heavy weights. But general manager Brandon Bean referred to Miller as a genetic freak. And that'll make me shoot for the under on week six, knowing full well it's subject to change later on. And if I shoot for the under of week six, I don't put him on pup. If I don't put him on pup, I have to make a spot for him on the 53-man roster. But with Miller staying, the 53rd spot then comes down to Cam Lewis or Latavius Murray. And the logic between them is razor thin. I could see it go either way. Murray was available as a free agent in May. And as such, the Bills might believe, hey, we can get him through their practice squad like Duke Johnson last year and have him there. Murray was also on the New Orleans Saints practice squad last season before being called up to the Denver Broncos active roster. The Bills can deal with any potential call-up problems should they arise with Murray. Lewis's value on special teams and his ability to play multiple roles for the Bills' defense tipped the scales in his favor this time around. In the defensive tackle room, decisions had to be made. I think Jordan Phillips is a better player than Tim Settle. Let's start with that. But Settle had a restructure, which means that cutting him gives the Bills $3.8 million in dead cap. 
and only 516,000 in cap savings. With Phillips, those numbers are 1.22 million in dead money and 1.64 million saved. I would love to find a way to keep five defensive tackles because Phillips is way too good of a player when he's healthy. So if you didn't want to keep Murray and you didn't want to keep Cam Lewis, keep Jordan Phillips and go five deep defensive tackle. I wonder if the Bills might keep five this year specifically because of the issues they had at the end of last year with Daquan Jones being out and the impact that it had against Cincinnati. Is this the year the Bills go five deep defensive tackle instead of four? Because they've always gone four. Now, important note. If the Bills can find a trade partner for Settle, they'd only incur $1.35 million in dead cap this year and saving $2.974 million in cap space this year. Now, you, you're going to incur another $1.35 million in dead cap next year. On the interior of the offensive line, I went with Ike Butker, even though I really like Broker as a prospect. The assumption at this point is that Butker will be back to form and the Bills feel like Broker can be passed through to the practice squad. After all, he was a late pick. But if the team find themselves impressed by the rookie, then they could pull the classic Brandon Bean. That's what Brandon Bean does in August. He watches preseason games and he trades offensive linemen. That's what he does. Day three pick. They already have a substantial 2024 slate. Brandon Bean joked that he wanted to use it to trade up. He wasn't joking. He's going to use it to trade up. Might go ahead and get himself another day three pick. A couple things. Additionally, on the offensive line, Dawkins, Morse, Brown, Bates, Torrance, McGovern, Questenberry, Edwards, Butker. You might look at that list and go, I don't think you have enough offensive tackles. If Torrance becomes the starting right guard, Ryan Bates becomes the first man off the bench for any of the interior positions and any of the exterior positions. Bates and Butker both have five position versatility, which means that's that's where you're getting your backup offensive tackles at that point. Tommy Doyle is coming off of an ACL injury and was essentially just a sixth offensive lineman at the time. And if you're getting Bates moving from right guard to swing everything backup lineman, then that's the logic behind not having Doyle. So it looks on paper like I only have three offensive tackles there, but I actually don't. I have five. I have Questenberry, Dawkins, Brown, and then the five positional versatility of Bates and Butker. As far as special teams go, Sherfield, Shorter, Gilliam, Matikiewicz, Lewis, Neal. Core special teams players. That's how they made the roster. You got to remember, Taiwan Jones isn't on this team anymore. So his gunner duty is up for grabs. I think Trent Sherfield probably has the upper hand right now. But don't think that Justin Shorter isn't going to be somebody who can push to be wide receiver six specifically because of his special teams prowess. We talked about that last week. Brandon Bean flat out said he wanted to try and give these guys an opportunity to get a jersey. And the best way they could possibly do that was by playing special teams. And Justin Shorter can do that. Of all of these positional rooms, my absolute most interesting positional room for the Buffalo Bills is defensive tackle. Because they've always kept four. And I already talked about how I don't really like it when I have to cut to four. 
I had to get rid of Jordan Phillips, and I don't want to get rid of Jordan Phillips. And you think, oh, okay, well, just go ahead and just trade at Oliver. Okay, well, then who's your starting three tech? Is it Jordan Phillips? I like Jordan Phillips. I don't want him as my starter. You're going to do Jones and Ford? Do you want Puna Ford as your starting three tech? It's a very strange dynamic because it almost feels like you have five people you want to keep, but you pretty much always keep four. The number one thing I'm looking at this offseason is defensive tackle. Number one, because I think that trickles through the rest of the roster. As I mentioned earlier, if you keep five, now all of a sudden, now it's you don't get to make a call between Lewis and Murray in this situation because you keep neither of them. And we've seen the Bills do weird things with players they brought in that offseason. O.J. Howard, brought in, cut, tight end. Remember Jacob Hollister? Signed, brought in, cut. Again, tight end. So maybe they confine all their weirdness to, to tight ends. But they're not opposed to cutting a player that they brought in that offseason, a veteran, on a one-year deal. I'd be surprised if it was Puna Ford. Based on everything I've seen, I think he's a higher quality player than Tim Settle. So for me, it's defensive tackle. I know you might think it's corner because, you know, love me some corners. But I think there are some levers to pull here. If Miller starts on the pup, if DeMar Hamlin starts on the pup, those are two levers you can pull to free up spots and just kick the can down the road. Because a lot of these roster maneuvers are just, I don't want to deal with it now, let's deal with it later. And that's really what the pup decisions are. It's just kicking the can down the road six weeks and saying, oh, we'll deal with that later. Because by then, someone else could have gotten hurt and your decision is now made for you. You don't have to make a tough decision because the roster spots end up opening up because of players you're putting on injured reserve. Also, very important to note that there may be some roster shenanigans. Someone who makes a 53-man roster, and then their spot is taken by a veteran who waited in the parking lot for a day. We've seen this happen before. But it's a good exercise because it helps you identify the pivot points. Just like the card game with your spouse. Wow. I didn't know that your third favorite dinosaur was a Triceratops. That's the pivot point. It's a weird pivot point, but a pivot point nonetheless. So for me, the number one thing I'm looking at is defensive tackle. But cornerback matters. Safety matters. Offensive line matters. Running back matters. Those are the pivot points for the Buffalo Bills this offseason. And by the time we get to the final 53-man roster... A lot of decisions could be made for us. Someone could get traded. Someone could get hurt. All these things change. But after the draft is the best time to start talking about this because it helps you zero in on the areas that you're going to be most watching because you get distracted. You get rookie mini camps got its own narratives. OTA's got their own narratives. Then training camps are, comes around. And you don't really start thinking about it again till cut down day. We didn't spend the entire offseason looking at the players and the positions who were on our pivot points because we didn't identify those pivot points earlier in the offseason. We got distracted by the shiny objects. Ooh, Josh Allen threw a deep ball. Josh Allen looks great in shorts. Look at Matt Milano's biceps. Listen, they're awesome. Don't get me wrong. The thighs and the biceps, they're fantastic. But the best way to not get distracted is to identify the pivot points now. And that's what we're doing. And... Maybe it's a waste of our time. 
And maybe it's really bad content for early May. But you know what? That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumble.